The Old Testament reading is right now. So if you would, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. And this sermon is going to be basically from Isaiah 40 and Acts 26, what Mr. Blacklock has just been reading a portion of it. But I'm going to read to you Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 11. Comfort, O comfort, my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might. He will come with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense is before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. The word of the Lord. Let's pray for a second. Our Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word and read it. And we pray, Father, that you would... Shine your light upon it and give us illumination. Lord, give us words of salvation and give us words of assurance. We'll praise you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been uh, pursuing a topic, and that is discipling children. Um, We said if we're going to disciple our children, we're going to have to answer two questions. Two questions. Who is God and what is God like? And so we've been in pursuit of these two questions. And you as a parent, you as a grandparent, you as somebody who's in the congregation who's made a vow, every time we baptize a a child or any time we baptize an adult, you've made a vow to be part of their lives. You've made a vow to be somebody who can answer these questions to some degree. Who is God and what is God like? If we're going to train our children, we have to answer those two questions. Now, in pursuit of answering these two questions, we've looked at uh, Psalm 139 and Isaiah chapter 6, and today we're going to look at Isaiah 40. From Psalm 139, we've seen that God, remember, God knows everything. He knows the words I'm about to speak before I form them on my lips. He knows everything. He also is in every place at all points in space with His whole being. There's no place that God is not. There's no place that we can run or hide from His Spirit. We also learn that God is our creator. 
We learned that God creates the macro things and God creates the micro things. And we talked about the fact that God creates even that little speck that's in mama's womb in that dark place. Finally, we ended in Psalm 139 saying that God is holy. And then we moved to, to Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, we ask the question, who is God and what is he like? And we find out God is majestic in holiness. We find that God is, God is a God of glory. And we see the prophet entering in to uh, God's presence. And how many times had he been there before? Remember, we, we asked that question. How many times had he been doing business as usual? And now he enters into the temple and God is present. And he falls on his face and he cries out over his sins. I am a man of unclean lips. This is worship, folks. It's not running around dancing. It's not worshiptainment. It's falling on your face, confessing your sins, and realizing God forgives us of our sins and calling us to worship. And then the man gets up and what does he do? Last week we said he gets up and he begins to reflect God. He begins to resemble the God that he worships. And we said if you leave here today, if you leave the service today, you are worshiping someone. You're reflecting someone. And we said that if you remember what we did, remember I put the phone in front of my face. If you look at a phone all the time, you're going to be hard like a phone. <laughs> right? Have you ever run into anybody? Hey, how you doing? Didn't hear you. Why didn't they hear you? Because they're glued to the phone. That's just one illustration. But these people in Isaiah's day are looking at real wooden idols and they have become like dead wood. Or do we want to be dead or do we want to be in reflecting dead wood or do we want to reflect the living God as we worship him through Jesus Christ? So these are the things we saw in Isaiah 6. And now what we do is we come to Isaiah 40. And it's interesting as we come to Isaiah 40, we're, we're confronted with 31 verses about preaching. And so how do we teach our children from this passage of Scripture? Uh, one, of the, one of the reasons I put these passages together is because these passages tell us who God is. And one of the things that, that, we, that we learn is what are we to look for in the pulpit? And when you look for somebody to preach the gospel in the pulpit, he needs to be able to say who God is and what God is like. And he needs to be able to say, according to verse 9, here is your God. That, he needs to be able to say that. If he can't answer who is God and what is God like with here is your God, well, he probably doesn't need to be in the pulpit. So what are we to look for? What are we to teach our children to look for? As they leave our homes one day, what are we going to teach our children to look for in the pulpit? We're going to teach our children to look for a man who's converted to God. Isaiah the prophet goes, to, goes into the temple in Isaiah chapter 6. Remember, it's in the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord then. And when he walks out of that temple, he is now converted to God. Isaiah the prophet was not converted from liberal views of God to more conservative views of God. He was not converted from no Bible reading to a whole lot of Bible reading. He was not converted from a pro-abortion stance to a pro-life stance. He was not converted in, uh, from, you know, from being a sedentary person to a person who likes to walk every morning. Are those good things? Well, I guess they're all good things. He's not converted from, from very little church attendance to a whole lot of church attendance. Those are all good things. 
but he's converted to God. And if you're going to have a guy standing behind the pulpit, the man needs to be converted to God so that he can say, here is your God. He does not stand up and proclaim his goodness. He does not stand up and proclaim his degrees. He does not stand up and say, I'm a friend of King Uzziah. <laughs> he could have said all that. He doesn't stand up and say, you know, I'm, I'm of royal lineage. What does he do? He curses himself. He worships through confessing his sin. He says like the tax collector in Luke 18, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. This is what he does. And I want you to notice, and if you have your Bibles open, you can turn there, but I'm going to read it to you again. Paul the Apostle, he stands in front of King Agrippa, and he's defending his uh, preaching of the gospel. And this is what he says. Listen to this. Acts 26, 12. While so engaged, O King Agrippa, I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O King, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. And I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Look at this man. This man is going to apprehend every single person who's following Jesus, all the followers of the way. This is where he's going. This is what he's doing. He's got the letters in his hand. He's just gotten through a few chapters earlier, standing there with the whole posse, watching them throw stones at Stephen. And now he's being apprehended. Now he's being turned. First thing he does is he goes blind. At midday, he's judged. He's blind. He's walks over to a home. He's led by the hand. He's in a home. And just, just folks, listen, I'm going to say it again. I like to say this. God could have saved us in so many different ways, but he chose to do it through speaking men who speak. Wow. God chooses to use our pitiful prayers. God chooses to use our pitiful preaching. And Saul of Tarsus wasn't saved until a little old man named Ananias said, call on the name of the Lord. And he was saved. That's conversion. You need to teach your children when they go to church to look for a certain kind of person. You need to teach your children to look for a man who's converted to God, who understands he's on his way to hell. And we don't talk like that too much, do we? He's on his way to hell. Where is he going? He's on a broad way. He's with the rest of the crowd. He's going to, he's on the path of sin and death and hell. And somebody comes along named Christ and takes him off of that path and puts him on a new path to righteousness and life and love of God. He enters through a narrow gate. He knows what it means to walk on that narrow way. He's on his way to glory. He needs to be able to understand the inability in himself. He has a hopelessness. He cannot save himself. What's it Jonah says? Salvation is from who? Salvation is from the Lord. Turn me, O Lord, the minister must be able to say, and I will be turned. Convert me, Lord. Give to me what you command. Now, does every minister need to have a dramatic and striking conversion just like Isaiah the prophet or, or uh, the Apostle Paul? Well, no. But he needs to have one. He needs to have a conversion. He needs to be saved. He needs to understand that he's been turned. 
And how do we know the minister's been turned? What are you looking for? Well, maybe you're not looking for something dramatic. But you need to be able to say to yourself, the guy's been turned. And he's still turning. He's turning to God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the first point. Teach your children. Also, second, to look for a man who's commissioned by God. So Isaiah the prophet, he's converted. We see the conversion. We've studied the conversion. And then immediately after he's converted, it's God is like there in the council chamber of heaven. He says, who will go for us? And what does the prophet say? Here am I, send me. And the next words we studied last week was this. He says, go and tell. There's the commission. Go and tell, sir. Go and say, here is your God. And in verse 1, let me just give you a few commands. These are all commands. This is God commanding Isaiah to preach. Comfort, com- oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her. Clear, or we could say prepare the way for the Lord. Make smooth his path. A voice says, call out. All commands. Isaiah, this is what you're to do. You've been converted now. Go out and do this. This is your commission. Go tell. Go tell. And the same thing is true in Acts chapter 26, 16. So here's Paul after, or Saul after he's converted. He is commissioned by Jesus Christ himself. Listen to what he says. Jesus says, Sir, get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you. What's the purpose? To appoint you a minister and a witness. You're going to go out and you're going to be a minister and you're going to be a witness to what you have seen. So what are we to look for today? Do we look for a man who has an extraordinary call to to be a a minister like this? No, those are all gone by the wayside. We do not believe in an extraordinary commission anymore. Now, I did a study of this. One day I'll probably preach some of this to you, but the extraordinary experience that these men like Paul and the prophet had, it's amazing to study. But we don't have those anymore. Is that we don't we don't look for that. That is reserved from the prophet and for the apostle. So what do we look for in the church today? Well we look for an ordinary call. We look for ordinary ministry. And so as we look in our Bibles, we would maybe turn to First Timothy three And there's this aspiration that a man is supposed to have in him inside of his heart. This man is to have an internal call and it's it's sometimes so intense. The man can do many things, but he can't get away from this. He can't get away from this aspiration. He can't get away from this desire. Woe is me if he preaches not the gospel. And so here's a man who's in the church and he has this desire. And this is where the church begins to work with the man. The man is like over here, maybe he's teaching a Bible study or maybe he's over here doing different ministries. And somebody in the church comes up and says, has God called you to be a minister? And maybe he's not even thinking about it. Or maybe he's thinking about it and then the church recognizes it. But back and forth, the church and the man go. Recognizing that this man is being called into the ministry. And so, what does the church look for? Well, the church, according to 1 Timothy 3, looks for a man who has certain kind of character. He has to have established character. And this means that he's not a new convert. The Greek word is neophyte. We, don't, we use that for little people, right? New pe- new, new, newborn persons. We're going to have a newborn person right here. We're going to have a neophyte pretty soon. 
But we have established character. We're looking for a man who manages his house well. We're looking for a man who cares for the people in the congregation. We're looking for a man who has a good name in his community. And then, if you go and read, all of a sudden it says, we want a man who has gifts. Now, I'm going to say this tongue-in-cheek. You know, he has the gift to be able to speak. He has the gift of gab. Now, you're, you make fun of your pastor. Usually your pastor has the gift of gab. Usually he can speak. But it's not first. Preaching's not first. Arguing's not first. Doing exegesis is not first. Character. Character. Humility. This is what you're looking for. And so in our denomination, we have uh, men who are educated. We have men who are tested and examined. And they're called by the congregation. And when the call is given by the congregation, it's a call for the presbytery to examine this man and then for them to see his fitness and his ability to do the work for that church. And it's a great marriage. Our great Presbyterian form of government allows the church to make the call. The presbytery examines a man. And then when it's all said and done, we pray by God's, with God's help and His Holy Spirit that the man is placed in the pulpit by the hands of these men according to the Holy Spirit. And it's brought, we're brought together. And we need to teach our children to look in the pulpit for somebody who's commissioned in this way by God. To look for a man who's compelled to preach the gospel, who's humble. And I'm going to put it this way so Brian knows it. I've said it to him. There's barriers to being in the pulpit. Are you willing to go through them? There's barriers. There's tests. There's exams. There's papers to write. He might even have to rewrite one. I had to rewrite one. The, you know, the first time I failed a test was one of these exams for Presbytery. First time in my life I failed a test. I had to do it again. But woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Humble men. Oh man, I got to do that again. Yeah, I'll do it again. Just do it again. Just do it again. Teach your children to look for a man who preaches the gospel, who will willingly go through what is required of him to preach the gospel in season, out of season, whether he wants to or not, rejected or received. Third, teach your children to look for a man whose content, whose content comes from God. Isaiah the prophet, his content comes from God. If you go and you look at, at prophets, you'll see these interesting statements. It'll, it'll say things like this. It'll say that they saw what they were supposed to preach. They saw, they're called sometimes seers. They see, if you will, a canvas, a painting, if you will, of what they're to preach. And then God gives them the words to explain what they see on the canvas. That's a good way of thinking about what happens with the prophets. And even with Paul in a minute, I'm going to show you. But what we find here, as Second Peter tells us, these men are not preaching their own will, their own mind, but they are borne along by the Holy Spirit to explain to us what they saw. The Apostle Paul in Acts twenty six sixteen it says it says this Jesus says, Get up, stand on your feet, for this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things which I will appear or show to you. He didn't say what you've heard. He said what you've seen. He went straight back to that Old Testament language. 
what you see. What do witnesses do? They, they talk about what they saw. And he's given the words to explain what he saw by the Holy Spirit. He's got some, he's going to get more. The prophet's content and the apostle's content comes from God. And who's it about? Look at verse 3 in Isaiah. Let me just read it to you. Listen to this. Who's it about? A voice is calling clear or prepare the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for your God. Who's that? Who is that? Do y'all recognize that language? That's gospel Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John language. That's John the Baptist talking about Jesus. And then later on, he says in verse 5, who's he talking about? Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Who is that? This person in the 7th century before Jesus is ever around is talking about John the Baptist and talking about the glory of God who is Jesus. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene and he does exactly what, he, what this guy says was going to happen. 700 plus years earlier, it's prophesied, it happens, and Jesus is preached. What's his content? What is Isaiah preaching about? Well, he's preaching about Jesus. And verse 10 tells us it's that the Lord will come with might. This is the power of the gospel. And then in verse 11, did you see what it says there? Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather his lambs. Gently, gently. This is a shepherd who's... Very sympathetic, full of mercy. So the apostles' content, like the prophet, it comes from God. It's about Jesus Christ. This is what we're to look for. And so here's the apostle, the apostle Paul. Well, he's really Saul. But what does he do? He sees a person who knocks him down. That's power. But what does he do? He shows him his hands. Shows him his side. Shows him his feet. That's pity. He saves the man. And you and I, we need to teach our children that we need to look for a man in the pulpit who preaches content from God all about Jesus Christ. You and I, we don't look for a minister in the pulpit who preaches under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit like the prophet did or like the apostle did. But you look for a man who preaches the word of God and compares one scripture with the next, one scripture with the next, so that you are finding content from God about Jesus Christ. So what the prophet is pointing to, John the Baptist prepared people to see. He was the only prophet of all. He's the final Old Testament prophet. He's the only prophet of all the prophets that got to see the one he was preaching about. It's kind of cool. And then Paul preached him. What did he say? First Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Christ went into the tomb. He was buried according to the Scriptures. Christ was raised from the dead on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the power of God. And this is the pity of God for sinners. You and I need to look for a minister who preaches that content, who preaches God's Word. Maybe you could even tell your children to say... <coughs> Sir, we would see Jesus. <laughs> Sir, up there preaching, we would see Jesus. And he needs to be able to say, here he is. Four, teach your children to look for a man in the pulpit who calls them to God. What's Isaiah the prophet doing when he goes out there in verse 9? God tells him to go and tell people. 
to call them from their idols, to call them from their wood. Remember, we talked about wood last week. Remember, they took a piece of the wood, they heated up their food. They took some of the wood, they made they made uh, you know made themselves warm by it, and the rest of the wood they formed a god from it. He called them from that. He called them from their idols. He called them to a God who no one can compare to him, who is full of forgiveness, just like he had received in Isaiah 6. And he calls them to come back from that. And finally, at the very end of the passage there, it's that verse everybody knows, he's the only one who can impart to you the power that you need so that your strength is renewed like the eagle's. The Apostle Paul in Acts twenty six sixteen, he's calling people to God. He's doing, he's called to do a mighty converting work, a spirit work of conversion. He's called, remember, it's a voice of a man. Nobody gets saved by walking around a stadium while preaching's going on on the inside. Nobody gets saved apart from preaching. And so here's this guy who's going out to preach and God is going to use him. And notice what he says here. He calls them to preach, to open their eyes, verse 17. That's what he is being told to do. I'm going to use you to open their eyes. Now, why do their eyes need to be opened? Last week we said it, didn't we? Why? Because their eyes are covered over with, smeared over with mud. What's wrong with their ears? Their ears have mud or have earwax in them at least. That's kind of gross to think about. Their, their hearts are hard. He's being called to turn people to God, to open their eyes. Now, one of the things I've used in my uh, inquirer's class, an illustration, is this. There's radio waves. Yeah, you know, when I was growing up, it was all about radio. It was all about these towers. And when I grew up, I had a, had a field over here with these gigantic towers. And all they could do is talk about their power. That's all they could do. They had all these watts of power. And all these programs are being blasted through the airwaves. Music, all kinds of music, all kinds of talk shows. But you know what? If your radio in your car doesn't work, you can't hear any of it. You don't get any of it. Doesn't matter how powerful that radio station is. Doesn't matter how many times these guys scream about how wonderful their programs are. If your radio in your car is broken, you don't get any of that, those words. And right now, God is sending forth His Word. The Word is going out. But if your radio, if your receiver in your heart's broken, you don't hear any of it. It just bounces off. You don't see, you don't hear your heart is too hard. And so the God's Spirit has to open up our hearts. And that's what Paul is saying. God has told, Jesus says to him, I'm going to use you to open their eyes. So that, I'm going to use you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. So that they may turn from the dominion of Satan to God. That's conversion. I'm calling you to open their eyes so that they turn. Turn from darkness to light. Out of the way of sin and death, into the way of righteousness and life, out from underneath the dominion of Satan, underneath the rule and power of Jesus Christ who ruled and reigns over all his people. This is what he's being called to do, to turn them. Now, how can you know you've been turned? 
so that they may turn, so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. How do you know you've been, re- been forgiven of your sins? Ask yourself, have I been turned? If you've been turned, you receive the forgiveness of your sins. If you're receiving the forgiveness of your sins, you've been turned. They go together. Acknowledgement of God's mercy, acknowledgement of, God, of, of my sin against God. They go together. If you say, I've been turned, then you, then you can enjoy the words we read today as we were going through the assurance of pardon. God is compassionate toward you. God's forgiven you. God's not dealing with you according to your iniquities. God has removed your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. But if you haven't been turned, don't walk around saying, I'm forgiven. They, don't, they go together. Not only that, he says, so that they may receive an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So how do I know I've been forgiven? Have I been turned? How do I know that I have an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me? Jesus says, I have had to turn. Have you been turned? You know, it's really interesting. You you hear, uh, I always like this. I always like thinking about Abraham. Abraham was promised the land. Now, he was thinking beyond just this one a chunk of land because he was thinking about a builder whose maker is God, the land that's out there in the future. But when he died, how much of the land did he have? How much did he own? He owned a little bitty piece to bury his loved ones. He had a down payment. And you and I, we have an inheritance. We have a down payment. We have the Holy Spirit given to us. He's given to us, promising better things to come. To all those who are being sanctified by faith in me, Jesus said, Have I been turned? Have I been forgiven? Do I have this inheritance? Am I seeking to be pure, pursuing sanctification? There's no such thing as walking around and saying, I am converted, I am forgiven, now I can sin all I want. That's that's not not to be tolerated. Not in your heart, not in your mind. The proper sequence is, I'm a man of unclean lips. The proper sequence is to say, I am the foremost of sinners. But then to say, I've heard the joyful sound from a preacher in the pulpit. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And now I've been turned. My eyes are opened and I'm forgiven. And I have a down payment of better things to come as I pursue Jesus Christ. Teach your children to look for a man who's converted to God. Teach your children to look for a man who's commissioned in an ordinary way. Preaching content from God about Jesus and calling you to God. And I'm going to end with this. Who never assumes not that the gospel needs to be preached from time to time. Who does not assume that everyone in the church is converted. Matthew chapter 18, you know what the disciples are all up in a huff about? They're all concerned about who's the greatest in the kingdom. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? You know what Jesus is concerned about? He's concerned about his disciples, whether they're entering the kingdom or not. He doesn't assume because they ate with him that they're in the kingdom. He doesn't assume that because they're listening to him and they actually even go out and preach for him that they're entering the kingdom. And so he takes a little child 
And he says, I tell you the truth. Unless you, my twelve disciples, are converted and become like a little child, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. It's a bad question to ask a minister. It's a bad, I'm a, it's a bad question. Our questionnaire came out and it said, uh, how often do you preach the gospel in the pulpit? That's a bad question. Every Sunday. Every Sunday, all of us need to hear about Jesus saves. Every one of us needs to know about turning from, from our sin, putting our faith in Jesus Christ and living a godly life. Every one of us needs to hear that. And we need to tell our children to look for a man who will not be wiser than Jesus. If Jesus called all his disciples to enter the kingdom of heaven after they've been with him a long time, we still need to hear it ourselves. In fact, you know, this is just an aside. Anytime I have ever just really borne down about heaven and hell and things like that, you know what the Christians come up and say to me? Thank you so much. <laughs> You'd think that, oh, well, I don't need to hear that. I mean, I'm being sanctified. I, you know, We've kind of, no. Preach the gospel, sir. Real worship is being convicted of my sin and turning from my sin and looking to Jesus Christ and holding on to Him with all my might and knowing I'm justified before God, I'm adopted into the family of God and I'm on my way to glory. That's what it's all about. It's so important because heaven and hell are at stake and unless you, unless I am turned to God, I will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What are we to look for in the pulpit? We're to look for a man who's converted, Commissioned by God, content from God, all about Jesus. And he's not afraid to call you every Sunday to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these, these men and uh, the lives they lived and you put in front of us. They're not, they're not without sin. We, we've seen that. We've seen Isaiah, a sinful man. We've seen Saul of Tarsus, full of murder, full of rage but changed. And Lord, we would long for, Lord, for you to change our hearts and our lives. Father, we pray that you will remind us that we always need to be repenting and believing, seeking to lead a holy life, holding on to Jesus Christ and knowing, Lord, that you are a God who takes care of us and holds us with your hands. Thank you for this time to be in this word. And we'll pray that your Holy Spirit takes it and works it into our hearts throughout this day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.